Hello, and welcome to another episode of Waypoint's What's the Point podcast. In case you can't tell, I am not Pastor Lawrence, Danny, or Eric. Today, we have an all-girl takeover. I'm Megan, the Director of Children's Ministry here at Waypoint, and I'm joined today by... I am Grace, Director of Communications at Waypoint. And I'm Rebecca. I'm the Ministry Lead for Safe Families. Great. Now, Grace and I have been here a few times before, but Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to be in the makeshift studio today talking about caring vulnerable families. So since our topic is on families, I thought we could just start with a weird family story because everyone has them, right? It could be a tradition, a funny story, a family fail. Let's hear what makes your family weird. Okay, I went with a family fail. Um, So I was thinking, okay, what's something funny? And then I remembered that when I was a kid, I begged my parents for a pet for years. And they finally gave in and we got this cat and I loved it. And I insisted on bringing it on all the family vacations. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think they agreed since I was the fourth child at that point. They were like, okay, sure, why not? Um, But the cat hated being in the car. Um, So one time we were on the way to my grandparents' house and we stopped at a gas station. And as soon as we opened the door, the cat just bolted out. Oh no. <laughs> and so we're just like, oh no, okay, this is bad. Um, but then it gets worse because there was a shooting range right across the street <gasps> and my cat was heading straight towards it. So me and my dad oh my are running across the parking lot and he's yelling out, stop that cat. Um, and, then <laughs> and then all of a sudden um, the, all these people start firing because the firing range. But thankfully, it's a happy ending. The cat was okay, and I pulled him out of the deck. It was, it was okay. But yeah, I just loved that. What was the cat's name? Uh, Pumpkin. Of course, great name. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this story made me think of um, a hiking fiasco that my family experienced. Um, So we grew up in Asheville. There's five kids in my family, um, so we like to go hiking a lot. And one time when we were probably ages like two to ten, my parents took us on what we thought was a mile-long hiking loop. Um, And instead, it was a five-mile trail um, with washed-out bridges. So we were, like, shimmying across trees, across rivers, um, on all fours, like all these kids. Um, And... We did make it out alive, but there. Were, <laughs> by the time we got to the parking lot again, um, there were some bikers who were like had been waiting for us. They were like, "We were really worried y'all weren't going to make it." At which point, my mom shared that she was looking uh, like across the way, like she, as we were walking, she was like looking for a place for us to bed down for the night. Oh she didn't gosh. think we were going to make it out. <laughs> Um, so thankfully we made it out. We went on many more happy hiking experiences, but, um, yeah, that was the pink bed loop is like a family legend. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, so, yes. Um, well, there are plenty of things that make my family weird, but I do have a family vacation story. A few years ago, we were driving down the Oregon coast with some of my extended family on my dad's side. So there's a big group of us. And we were touring the Tillamook Cheese Factory, which I highly recommend. But we were in line for cheese samples because, of course, and the fire alarm went off. And it was like not just a test, like it was actually the fire alarm going off for a a purpose. But we had been waiting for the cheese and we were just (laughs) so close to the front of the line. Like, what were we supposed to do? So we didn't just leave. Um, We hurriedly got our cheese and ate our samples while we were waiting to be able to go back in. 
we just we love cheese you know (laughs) it's good so those are some great topics to start us off now that we've embarrassed ourselves let's get on with today's topic so we are talking about caring for vulnerable families So just to quickly define what we mean by vulnerable families, there are a lot of risk factors that can make a family susceptible to being vulnerable. Could be abuse or neglect, domestic violence, untreated mental health problems, job loss, lack of a support system, experiences of trauma. These are just some of the ways. So here at Waypoint, we care deeply about helping those in need. And there are many ways to go about doing that, but we have a few specific ministry areas that our people are involved in that we want to highlight today. So, Grace and Rebecca, if you guys will just give us a brief intro to who you are and how you're involved with caring for vulnerable families. Yeah, so I'm Grace, and currently my husband and I are foster parents um, with Durham County, and we've been doing that for just over a year. And I'm Rebecca. Um, I have been working with um, Safe Families and Waypoint to try to get um, the Durham chapter of um, Safe Families um, up and running um, here at Waypoint and yeah, also in Durham. Um, yeah. Um, and I have my master's in social work and still consider myself a social worker, even though I am working here at Waypoint. Um, I used to work as a foster care specialist at a private foster care agency in the Triangle. So I got to interact with um, a lot of different sides of foster care from foster families, foster kids, uh, birth families, Department of Social Services, and, and all sorts of places. And I managed our emergency crisis placement program for kids experiencing mental health crises and needing immediate short-term placement. So we have a lot of um, viewpoints here, a lot of experiences between the three of us, which I think is great and will help for our conversation today. So what led you guys to get involved in caring for vulnerable families? Yeah, so I moved to Durham um, in early 2016 to do my student teaching with Durham Public Schools. Um, My area of teaching was ESL, so English as a second language. Um, So I did student teaching, and then that led to me working as an ESL teacher for DPS. And it was through that um, that I really kind of saw firsthand uh, the need for support for vulnerable families just in my students. Um, And then through also knowing foster parents at Waypoint, um, there it was a few years ago that you, Megan, and um, Candace led like a foster parent interest meeting. Um, and that was when um, I really uh, got interested in it. But it was actually kind of funny because at the time, my husband Dylan and I were not on the same page. And so we decided that at that point, um, uh, becoming foster parents was not for us. But then about two years later, um, God kind of worked in our hearts and we were on the same page. And that's what led us to getting licensed through Durham. Wow. And knowing your story to what I know now, that's really cool to see just how God worked and like you weren't ready yet, but then you were. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Rebecca? Yeah. So I think for me, um, I did a summer internship um, before college where I worked at a nonprofit in Chattanooga that did a lot of um, community development work. Um, and I was involved with um, mentoring um, some students that were at risk of gang involvement. Um, and I think just my experiences there and seeing how this organization really supported the families in the community and um, had such an impact on the youth that we worked with. Um, I just really felt God calling me to be a part of, um, yeah, I guess uh, being a support for 
families. Um, and then in college, I also um, have a background in social work. And so through different internships and volunteer opportunities, um, I got to be a part of the foster care community um, in the town that I went to, to college in um, and then um, have gotten to be a part of that in Durham through the organization I work for, um, Exchange Family Center. And so I just have seen um, God putting these opportunities in my life and specifically like calling me to be involved, um, um, whether it's social work or volunteer capacity or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like you both have had some specific experiences, um, and, and maybe your faith also has led you combined with those experiences to being part of safe families and being a foster parent. Um, for myself, I have always loved kids. Like even as a kid, I loved other kids. Um, and I think God gifted me with a lot of compassion. So having a job where I helped kids has always been my desire. Um, I even used to beg my parents to adopt a little sister for me. (laughs) Uh, I even got desperate and said I'd take a little brother, but they never (laughs) adopted a sibling for me. But, um, I naturally gravitated toward that field when I was in grad school. Um, so it's cool to, to get to be part of it now at Waypoint in a community where I love. Um, so at Waypoint, it is very important to us. Um, do you guys see a biblical basis for caring for vulnerable families? The verse that always comes to mind for caring for vulnerable families is the verse in James where it says um, to care for orphans and widows. Yeah, and I just think of like all the verses talking about justice and mm. Um, part of justice is caring for those who are oppressed, who are um, who are vulnerable, um, for especially the kids in our community who um, may have experienced abuse or are at risk of abuse. Um, I just, yeah, like if, if God's heart is for love and for justice um, and we see God moving towards us, like we are also called to move towards uh, the vulnerable in our community, we are also called to seek justice for them. We are also called to um, show them love, um, just as we have received love from Christ. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was, I what first comes to mind for me is also the James one twenty seven verse. Grace. I think a lot of organizations use that verse um, to encourage people to get involved with caring for um, orphans, whether that's children with no parent or children who functionally don't have a safe parent at the moment, which is what foster care is. Um, But I think kind of like what you're saying, Rebecca, I think that's such a small part of a really compelling basis of this larger theme of scripture um, to care for the vulnerable. And it's all throughout scripture in, I was thinking about the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, there's so many like laws built in to helping the poor built into their system. So um, the poor gets defined as orphans or the fatherless, widows, or and foreigners. And they had this system of tithing, of allowing gleaning for the fields, of canceling debt every seven years and more. Um, that was just part of the culture of life in, you know, Old Testament times. Um, you can read a lot about this in many verses in Deuteronomy. Um, and there's other things throughout the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, we see Jesus showing compassion for all sorts of vulnerable people, like the bleeding woman or the woman at the well. He heals the blind. He heals the leper. Um, just so many interactions with and restorations of the vulnerable. 
so I think, um, you know, we're called to be imitators of Christ. There's tons of scripture calling us to be imitators of Christ. And so, um, we, we can imitate Christ because his Holy Spirit lives in us. And that doesn't mean we're a savior to anybody, any mm-hmm. vulnerable family, um, because we don't need to be because God is our savior and he's a savior to all. But, um, he helps us to take part in restoration here on earth. So yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I think we have some, some avenues for that here at Waypoint through foster care and adoption or safe families. Um, so let's hear a little bit more about that. Grace, could you tell us a little more about foster care and adoption? Like what is it and why is there a need for it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, earlier, I just heard you mention that foster care um, is bringing kids into care who do not have a um, functionally safe parent, which I think is a very good definition. Um, kids come into care for a variety of reasons. Um, typically, it starts with um, a CPS um, investigation for different means, whether it is abuse or neglect. It's just any situation where um, CPS feels that they need to be, for their safety, they need to be removed um, from their caregivers for a time. Um, And I think something that we don't always understand if you're on the outside or not as familiar with foster care is that the goal is uh, for reunification with the birth family, Um, whether that's reunification with um, the parents or another family member. Um, But when a kid comes into care, there is also a plan usually set up with the birth family um, with steps that they need to meet in order to be reunified uh, with their kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that... I think people don't understand that reunification is the goal, which I also think is really biblical. Yeah. Like families are meant to be together. They're not intended to be broken apart by all the things, abuse and neglect and all the things that cause that. So um, I think family preservation is a really important part of foster care and adoption, though sometimes you know, the reality is we live in a broken world and it's just not the case that families will be able to reunify, which is when adoption comes into play. Yeah. Um, what has fostering taught you? It could be something hard. It could be something good or both. I feel like I'm learning so much all the time. It's only been a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really like, I think there's a lot of things that I, I knew in my head before becoming a foster parent that have just become very real. Um, you've kind of had to learn it sounds weird, but you've had to learn it in your heart, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Earlier, I heard you mention, you know, in the biblical basis for this, that we are not um, these family saviors. That is not our job. We cannot fix them. We cannot, um, you know, no matter how much uh, work and time and love you put in, there is still going to be brokenness and trauma, unfortunately. And like, yes, God is more um, powerful than all of that, but it doesn't mean that we can always just, you know, love it away. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually talking to another foster family last night, and um, the guy was saying that oftentimes foster care is a marathon. Um, it's not a sprint. Um, there can be, unfortunately, the foster care system um, moves very slowly, um, yes. at least here in Durham. So <laughs> slow. <laughs> Um, and that's not me trying to say anything against them. There's just a, a huge need and a lot of um, bureaucracy that they have to work through. Um, so that has been something that I've been uh, trying to remind myself lately. It was, okay, this is, this is a marathon um, and not a sprint, and that is just going to require um, us to continue going to the Lord 
uh, daily for what we need and what our uh, foster son needs. Yeah, that's good. I think parenting, from what I hear, requires a lot of daily faith. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Foster parenting is no different in that regard, I think. Um, And and maybe in different ways. You have to depend on, on God in different ways than just regular old parenting (laughs) not that that's easy um yeah yeah. and then one other thing like more practically that I didn't realize before becoming a foster parent um is how much time I would say is involved in each week in home visits licensing visits meetings um and just how many people are involved in the case that you need to keep updated at least this has been our situation um yeah if I could go back to before we were foster parents, I would tell myself like, okay, buckle up. There's going to be a lot of meetings and a lot of people, um, which is something that's not always a part of, um, just parenting a biological child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the trainers where I used to work that licensed foster parents, she would say, when you become a foster parent, you have a lot of hands in your chili. Yes. There's like <laughs> all the people, because yes. there's social workers, there's guardian ad litems who are a a volunteer um, court-appointed advocate for a child. There's probably a therapist, and there's school counselors, and there's occupational therapists. There's just yes. all the people. Yeah, you have to um, have a lot of be ready to have a lot of people in your house. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When you become mm-hmm. a foster parent. Um, so, what's the what's the joy in working through those things? Another thing that I am realizing didn't know um, before becoming a, post- a foster parent is just how much joy um, I would see in seeing our foster son, you know, reach milestones, build attachment, um, learn even just to communicate um, has been really beautiful. And also I think, you know, as, as stressful or as complicated as it can feel having all these other people involved, it is really beautiful and joyful when you get to share that with people and they also get excited with you because um, they've seen, you know, where the where the child was before maybe to where they're progressing now. Um, that has been really cool. And then also a joy um, and also a challenge has been um, just the involvement of birth families. Um, this can look very different um, for different foster children, but that has been something that has really been uh, a source of joy for us, that we have a, a good um positive relationship with our son's birth mom and we would honestly have never gotten to meet her if it hadn't been through this process yeah that's something we did a podcast on foster care about a year ago and Candace talked about episode five (laughs) hey (laughs) (laughs) Candace who's a a foster and adoptive parent here at waypoint talked about how um she wouldn't necessarily be able to know these parents and these yeah. families um, of kids that they fostered and adopted without having gone through this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's really cool um, and complicated. Yes, I think yeah. that's probably a big concern for a lot of foster parents um, and people considering fostering is, what do I do with this relationship, you know? Um, and I've seen some, mm, what's the word? maybe some like, I don't know, people are just scared to engage in those relationships, yeah. especially in adoption. It's like, uh, it, are, are the kids gonna love them more than me? Mm-hmm. Like just really complicated feelings. And it's all really complicated um, because it's not meant to be that way. Like 
we shouldn't have broken families. Um, But I've seen, you know, some, some cases it's like a relationship with birth family isn't possible for whatever reason. Um, But some cases it is. And, and a lot of times you have to fight for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can be really beautiful. Like you're saying, it can bring a lot of joy when you do. I think one of the, when I was a foster care specialist, I had a family who, They adopted some siblings, um, and mom was in and out of jail. They're believers, and they had a relationship with mom, and they would continue to meet up with mom. um, And they would go visit her in jail, and they would share the gospel with her. And they just they had a relationship with her, and they'll continue to have a relationship with her. Um, They've now adopted three of her kids, so there's like a bond there, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. between their families. Um, So I just thought it was a really beautiful restoration out of a a sad situation. Yeah. That's so, an awesome story. Yeah. 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 Um, Grace, how can we support foster families? Because you do have a million people in your house <laughs> and it takes a lot of time yeah. and parenting is hard. Yeah. Um, what are ways we can do to support? Yeah. I was trying to think back. Um, I think this has been a very interesting year to become a foster parent just with the pandemic and all the extra layers um, on top of that. But I think one of the biggest things was recently, a few weeks ago, we got some really just discouraging news about um, our foster son's case. And a a friend, um, another Waypoint member, had actually texted me and just said, hey, I'd love to bring um, dinner over. Or if you don't want dinner, I'd love to um, bake you something, which is just huge. So that's like one practical way is like if if you do know a foster family um, and you are friends with them, just kind of um, looking to see where you can anticipate those needs or the foster care system is always looking for respite families. There's an official process you can go through, um, to be a respite provider for DSS. Will um, you define respite? Oh, yes. Uh, oh gosh. How, how do I define respite? Do you have a good definition? For that? <laughs> I'll define okay. respite. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's like a break. So yeah. it's a break for both the, the foster family and the kid. Sometimes both people need a, yes. just to go, you know, just like, you might go spend the night at your grandma's house for a weekend. Mm -hmm. Maybe the child in your home goes and spends the night at someone else's house who hopefully they like know, you know, especially if they're in our church family, um, it would be someone they know. But yeah, respite is staying overnight at someone else's house for a night or two. Exactly. Um, And so respite can look like that, or it can just be, you know, offering even to babysit for a few hours. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to always be this overnight or weekend visit. or I think also just trying to be very intentional about um, if you are a, a young family, which if you're at Waypoint, there's a, a high chance so that you are. Many kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, just being really intentional um, about asking how you can um, include uh, foster children or include foster families in, in your circle, in your activity. Um, and something that I've really appreciated um, this past year as people have asked, you know, how we're, how we're doing, how our foster son is doing, how his case is going. Um, some people have been really thoughtful in asking, like, oh, is, is it okay if we talk about this right now? Yeah, and there might be times when a foster parent is like, I can't really share that information yeah. because it's a child. It's a whole human child story, yeah. you know, um, and we don't necessarily want to share the intimate details of a child's life. Or a birth family's life. So um, if a foster parent says, like, kindly asks you to stop (laughs) asking questions, don't take offense. Um, It's just protecting the privacy of that child. Yeah. Um, What are ways we can pray for 
foster families. When my husband and I got licensed in 2019, there was, I want to say 300, around 300 kids in Durham foster care and only 100 foster homes. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously just praying that more families would feel called to become foster parents, to become foster homes. Um, And then also I would say praying for um, just endurance for foster families, praying for healing um, for foster children, for birth families, and also praying for um, attorneys and the judges um, in the courts who are making these decisions. Um, They're they're making decisions that are affecting um, kids and families' Mm -hmm. lives. So I think, um, you know, we can focus a lot on praying for foster families, which is very important, but also remembering to pray um, for wisdom for the people who are making these decisions. Yeah, and I'll just add praying for the social workers too. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes it absolutely. is an emotionally taxing job um, because you're learning m- multiple kids' traumas um, yeah. who you come to really love um, and enjoy being around sometimes. I'm <laughs> 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 um, just kidding, often. Um, so it's, I know for me personally, it was really emotionally hard um and I had friends praying for me often um and praying for my kids even you know when I couldn't I just didn't have the capacity to pray for them um having other people pray for me and for my kids was really helpful yeah yeah absolutely and then I thought of one more thing which Megan you can also maybe help me describe this a little more one more way to get involved um if you have the time and the availability, becoming um, a GAL. Yes, that is an awesome way to get involved. So GAL stands for guardian ad litem, and every child who is in state custody, um, which would be any kid in traditional foster care, um, has a guardian ad litem appointed by the state. And so the GAL's job is not to push the what the foster parents want. It's not to, to push mm-hmm. what the birth family wants. It's not to push what the Department of Social Services wants. It is to advocate for the child and the child alone. And so the GAL meets maybe once a month with they like need to lay eyes on the child and hear how the child's doing. They also meet with the birth family, with the foster family, with the social worker. They... Um, get the perspective from all areas they're usually present at court and they write a court report um giving a recommendation and the court looks very highly on a GAL's recommendation like they consider it um, to be very important so if you are not ready to have a foster family or a foster child in your home you could get involved with one family by becoming a GAL yeah that's a great point Grace yeah thanks for sharing that um, so that's foster care. Let's talk about safe families. Woohoo. Rebecca, this, this one's probably a little more um, unknown to our church and people listening. What is safe families? Why is there a need for it? Why is Waypoint partnering? Yeah, good questions. Um, so Safe Families is a national organization, and you may have read a blog post that I posted hey, hey. <laughs> um, or seen the video that we shared in church um, a few weeks ago. Um, but basically, Safe Families um, has um, yeah chapters all over the country, um, and they are not a, um, a stand-in for foster care. They're not trying to be foster care. Um, it is a way to support families who are struggling and who don't have... Um, 
a support system to walk through that with them. Um, so say family says that they are an extended family-like support system. Um, so if you think about um, maybe a family who is, um, I don't know, experiencing homelessness and their kids are not allowed in a shelter, um, a safe family's family can step up and host those children um, while mom gets back on her feet um, and works on getting a job and safe um, housing. Um, There's a lot of reasons why a family might need something like that. If you think about all the times that you may have experienced um, a kind of crisis situation um, or just needed maybe a parent to step in with your child or family friends um, and then think about like a family that doesn't have that a family that doesn't have someone to turn to when money's tight and they need childcare, or yeah when there's no housing and they still have these kids that um, need a safe place to lay their head for the night um, so yeah so safe families kind of um, empowers churches to set up teams of people um, to yes, host um, children, but also to support those who are hosting kids. Um, so like Grace mentioned earlier, providing a meal for a foster family. Well, Safe Families builds that into the model that there are people who are providing meals for um, the church member who's hosting children. Um, other people on the team might be providing clothes if the children need clothes. Um, They might be providing um, transportation to um, the children who might have doctor's appointments or need to go to school. Um, And then there might be other people that are driving um, the mom around um, who might not have access to transportation. So um, yeah, just think of it of like weaving this web of support around a family in crisis um, while also empowering the local church body Um, to better support those who are supporting others. Yeah, I love that. I think what was the most helpful for me when we were learning about safe families was understanding everybody has these moments of crisis in their Mm -hmm. life. Like, I know when I was growing up, if I got sick at school, my mom would call my grandma and my grandma would come pick me up from school Mm -hmm. and I'd stay with her for the day. But if there's a family who doesn't have any extended family or not extended family that they can depend on, um, that's not an option. And so then it becomes a question, well, I mean, they would have to leave work. Um, Then there's not money to pay for things. You know, it's just a snowball effect. So I think the being an extended family is what kind of the framework provides for safe families. And I love that. What, What are the ways we can get involved at Waypoint in safe families? Yes. Um, So we are still working on forming our team. Um, There are a few different ways to get involved. Um, One, um, we are looking for host families. So if you are um, a family who is ready to have um, extra kids in your home, um, that would be a host family role. Um, If you are someone who is like, hey, I don't have the capacity to do that, but I would love to support a host family by um, agreeing to provide meals or provide um, maybe even childcare for a few hours. Um, 
We are also still trying to get out off the ground um, for Safe Families Durham. So if you are in a position that you could financially donate to Safe Families, um, that's also a huge need um, as they're still looking for um, partner churches in this area. So there's the circle of support in Safe Families, and that's like their framework for, um, like Rebecca was saying, having a holistic approach to supporting families. And so there's um, people who support both the birth family and the host family where the children might be staying. Those are family friends who are maybe bringing a meal or helping with some child care or potentially even doing respite um, for a longer term hosting. There's resource friends who might just provide a resource like clothes, like you said, or um, they could do things that where they don't interact with the kids. Um, or there's the family coach who's kind of more like a social worker-y type role um, who's helping facilitate what the goals are with the family in crisis um, and kind of, um, I don't know, managing things. Would you say that, Rebecca? Yeah. Yeah. Helping mom meet goals. Yeah. 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 Working on working, helping the family meet their goals, partnering with them to meet their goals. Um, so I think within that circle of support, there's a place for everyone based off your capacity. So maybe you want to be involved, but you don't have the time to be involved Mm -hmm. right now, but you have the financial resources, um, or maybe you don't have the financial resources, but you have the time. And so really based off what you have, there's a place within the safe families model. Um, and the, what I love about safe families is that the goal is really forming relationships. So we want to like tangibly support these families, but the goal is to, um, love people well. And at the end of a hosting, when safe family steps out in their official capacity, then this family still has this extended family within the church. Um, and that relationship can continue. So, Rebecca, you mentioned that we're still getting started with safe families. Yes. Do we know, do we have a, a, like a goal in mind approximately when? Yeah, so um, we actually were able to support a family um, over the past month um, through safe families. Um, there was a mom who was living in Durham while her kids were in a hosting in Apex. Um, and so we actually got kind of a soft start um, (laughs) to being involved, um, which was really neat um, to watch mom get in a stable Mm -hmm. place um, and even be reunified with her kids um, Mm -hmm. through that time. Um, But we are hoping to have um, people from Waypoint trained in June and hopefully be ready to um, have hostings um, maybe by the end of June. Um, So I'll be sending out more information on getting trained and there's a background um, check process and all of that um, good stuff. But um, there have been referrals for families in Durham recently. um, And so there's definitely a need here um, and people are starting to hear about safe families. um, So we would like to have Waypoint up and running um, and ready for when there's um, families that get connected to safe families. in our community. Awesome. So how can we pray for safe families at both the organization and as a church for in our church? Yeah. Um, 
like Grace said, like COVID has been kind of a crazy time um, mm-hmm. for all families. And so I would just continue praying for the vulnerable families in our community and um, really like in our country um, who are alone and struggling and don't have a place to turn. Um, yeah. So just be praying that um, they would feel God's presence, that um, the body of Christ could minister to them. Um and just, yeah, pray for the body at Waypoint, um, that God would raise up those who um, he's calling to serve in this way. Um, yeah, pray that um, he would make that very clear if he's calling you to this role um, and make the, the path smooth for you as, um, as you go through that. Um, pray for families to hear of safe families as we get started, that they would be drawn here um, to find support um, and that they would see the love of Christ through Waypoint and through the organization of Safe Families. Um, And you can also be praying for Safe Families Raleigh as they work to get um, the Durham chapter started up. I know that's there's just a lot of logistics and moving parts to get set up. So you can be praying for them as they um, work through all that and equip us and the other churches in Durham um, to get going. Awesome. So now that we've heard about foster care and we've heard about safe families, should everyone jump on board to get licensed to foster or to be a safe families host home? What do you think? So I really like this question because, you know, I think everyone should be a part of supporting vulnerable families. Like, yes, that is who we are as a church. Um, should everyone be licensed, become licensed to be a foster parent? No. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. <laughs> But what I think about what I think is so awesome about safe families is there's so many different opportunities to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Rebecca, whether that is actually hosting kids in your home for a short time versus just financially supporting, um, I think it's beautiful how there is this it's called circle of support, support. Yep. that allows so many different opportunities um, for people to use their gifts and talents and also still be able to participate in support no matter what season of life you're in. Yeah, and I just think my first experience with something like the Circle of Support was actually um, in college. I was a part of a ministry that supported foster families and families who were adopting in a similar way, where they were raising up um, basically circles of support in churches across counties to really support um, families who are doing the work of fostering, who are doing the work of in the safe families uh, lingo would be a host family. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to echo what Grace is saying. Like there is space for everyone to be involved. And we believe at Waypoint that it's important that people are involved. Um, but it's, yeah, it might fit in different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really beautiful to watch the body of Christ support those who are doing the work of fostering, who are doing the work of hosting. Um, and it might be like Grace earlier mentioned, like providing meals to a foster family or partnering with them in prayer, um, as Megan mentioned. Um, but there are just a lot of ways. And I like that Safe Families goes ahead and sets up a framework for that. So there's easy um, kind of roles to like plug yourself into. Um, and all of that melds together to really provide that firm support for um, the hosting. 
Yeah, and I think really important to note that these ministries are not competing with each other. Yes. Yes. These are, I mean, we are all on the podcast at the same time for a reason. These are both (laughs) really important parts of caring for families. Um, I guess you could kind of say safe families would be supporting families, maybe preventative rather than foster care is reactive. So Mm -hmm. foster care is reacting to abuse and neglect that has already happened. Safe Families is trying to help prevent that from happening. So it's it's like covering the whole spectrum from, you know, potentially dangerous to an unsafe situation. So these are both very important, um, and we prioritize them both. So we've covered the zealous people who maybe are ready to jump on board. What about the people who are like, I could never do that. What do you say to that? I think I I thought that as well, especially working in the public school system and just seeing the range of behaviors and trauma. Um, but then I think it was seeing people and families in Waypoint actually doing it. And they were surviving. <laughs> um, and realizing, I think it's like once you see it kind of close to home or in your community you see other people doing it you realize okay it's not this this terrible scary impossible thing um and so i'd say if you are someone who feels like oh my gosh i could never do that okay maybe that's where you're at now um but i would challenge you to still um just spend time with other foster families spend time with people who are doing safe families um to kind of just give yourself more exposure to it. Um, And maybe it's true. Maybe God is not calling you to do that, um, but maybe he is. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. My first reaction maybe is, you're right. You can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do it alone. Yeah. Like, and thank goodness we don't have to. Um, Fostering is hard. Doing safe families is hard. but we have Jesus who yes. helps us. Um, we, I think people say, like, I can never love a child and then let them go. But isn't that the joy? Like, mm. that's what you do with parenting. You just have them for an extended period of time. But loving a child and then letting them go back to their family, I just think it's so beautiful. Um, and, and God understands this tension um, because he did send his son to die for us Um, and like there's just the the greatest amount of love there um, that initiated that that we can't even understand and so we have to cling to this love that God has for us as our father um, when dealing with the really hard situations that make you say I could never do that yeah um yeah, I think if you're, if you're saying I could never do that, I would just challenge you to pray um, about what would it look like to be obedient in doing that um, and in trusting God in that. Not to say that I think everyone should be a foster parent because I don't, but what ha- what would happen if you opened your mind to it and, and were obedient to it, if that's what God called you to? Yeah, and I was also just thinking um, that, like, yes, God is with us and walks through those things that he has called us to do. Um, but another really cool thing about that is he also gives us the body of Christ to walk mm, with yes, us yes. in. Yes. Um, and so I think that is a huge goal of safe families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, talking about fostering is that we want Waypoint to be a place where 
it's not just that our members are involved in supporting vulnerable families, but our church is involved in this work. Like we, as the body of Christ at Waypoint, are supporting vulnerable families, and we're supporting those who are supporting vulnerable families. Um, and so we really want this to be a place where um, we are, yeah, walking alongside people that maybe thought that I can't do this. And then God was like, no, I'm calling you to this. Mm-hmm. And we're faithful to step forward. And maybe that's fostering. Maybe that's being involved in safe families. Um, but yeah, um, there's a community aspect to mm-hmm. this as well, yeah. for sure. And I, I definitely agree with that, Rebecca. Like I can't, there's been so many times this past year, just even at small group where the um, people in our group have just listened to me cry and share my frustrations and they prayed for me and it's just been it's huge yeah do either of you have any either advice you would give yourself back wait advice you would give yourself (laughs) looking back (laughs) before you started on your journey with caring for vulnerable families or just encouragement for anyone who's interested in getting involved um this is another thing that I kind of you know, like, it's like, okay, I knew this in my head before fostering. Um, but it's like these kids, um, they are God's kids. Um, this is something mm-hmm. that foster parent reminds me of quite often when I call her with questions or just to vent. Um, <laughs> but she's like, these are, these are God's kids. And I think that even applies, you know, with biological children as well. Um, they are not our own. Um, they're God's kids. He knows what's going to happen. We're not in control. Um, we, we have the job of coming alongside to restore and to love, but ultimately um, it's not up to us. Yeah, and I would just say as an encouragement, um, I've just seen God um, work in my heart as he's called me to this work um, and also used the families and the people that I've been involved with um, to show me aspects of himself um, and to really grow my faith and dependence on him. Um, And I just, I think that's a, really beautiful and important thing and something that I wouldn't trade for the frustrations or the discouragements um, or the tears (laughs) that have been shed um, in being involved with vulnerable families. Um, And I think he's also just shown me a better picture of um, who he calls his people to be, um, which is this community that reflects him. Um, And yeah, I just, um, again, like wouldn't, wouldn't trade that. And I encourage you if you're considering this to, um, to really ask him if this is what he has for you and what that looks like. Um, we've talked about a lot of different roles and involvements, um, today. Um, and so you just never know where, (laughs) where the journey starts, um, or where it'll take you. So, yeah, I think something I think I would tell myself, I kind of heard it in both of what you guys were saying, was um, keeping an appropriate perspective of myself, (laughs) of my role, of my uh, influence, Um, because God's is so much greater (laughs) than mine. Um, I was recently reading in the Word and read Micah 6, 7 through 8, and a lot of people know Micah 6, 8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. But um, looking in the bigger context of it, Micah was a prophet to Judah. Judah was in and out of idol worship and following the ways of the non-Israelite people in the land. 
Um, I thought I'd just read Micah 7 and 8 in the CSB version. It says, Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn son for my... Sorry, should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. So these verses tell me it's not like the things we do, the sacrifices we offer, both honorable and what we think would be honorable that are important. He's told us what is good which sounds like creation, Garden of Eden language to me. Um, and so until we return to Eden, what does it look like to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with our God? Maybe that's being licensed as a foster parent or becoming a safe family's host home or being a family friend or taking a meal to somebody. Um, I don't know. You'll have to pray about that and, and see what it looks like to walk in daily faith with God um, and, and obedience to that. So Waypoint, I hope you'll spend some time in prayer asking God how he's asking you to care for vulnerable families and that you humbly take steps toward that, knowing that God is the one guiding you each day. Waypoint, we love you. We hope you have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye.